morning, church. My name's Chad Allen, and I am thrilled to have this chance to share with you. If you're just visiting with us today, we are thrilled you're here. And um, we've been in the middle of a series, we've been in a series um, called Centered, where we've been looking at what does it look like for us to live with our lives centered around Christ. And last week, we, we talked about that to be centered, we have to be in God's Word. And as a result of being in God's Word, it leads us to what we're talking about today. As a result of being in His Word, it's clear that we are to be people of prayer, that if you want your life centered on Christ, then we need to be men and women who are centered on, on prayer. And uh, that's the, the only natural response to reading God's Word. And uh, it reminds me of a story of little Timmy, little five-year-old Timmy. One day, he makes a request to his dad, says, I've got a request. His mom and dad kind of look at him, and they lean in. They're ready to hear what he's going to say. And he says, Dad, I want a baby brother. It's a tall order. <laughs> but dad looks over at his wife and gives her a little wink and says, Okay, son, I, I tell you what. If you pray every day for the next two months, God will give you a baby brother. Now, what little Timmy didn't know that his parents did is there was already some dough in the oven. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so Timmy says, I'm on it, Dad. And that night, he even went to bed early that night. They found him in his bedroom. He was in bed, ready, falling asleep. But he had went to bed early just so he could pray. And he's praying, and some time goes by. Still no baby brother, but, but he, he's praying his heart out. And so about a month goes, and he, he decides to do some research. And he learned throughout the neighborhood, his entire neighborhood, not one person had this baby brother in two months in all of the history of the neighborhood. And so little Timmy gets discouraged. And what does Timmy do? He, he quits praying. Well, the day arrives and mom delivers. And they bring little Timmy into the bed and they start to move the little blanket and he is blown away. It's not just one baby brother it's twins, there's two. And he is just taking him back by it, and Timmy's looking at one, and then the second one, the one, the second one. Finally, his dad wraps his arm around and looks down with a big old smile and says, Son, aren't you glad you were praying? Little Timmy just is blown away. He looks at one and two, one and two. He says, Yeah, but Dad, aren't you glad I quit? I don't know what your prayer life's like. I don't, know, um, I don't know what it's like for you, but if you're like me, man, there are times when I feel I am in the zone, prayer, prayer it's like a direct connection. God's just answering, hollering, uh, hollering right back. You know, it's, it's beautiful. But then there are a lot of times, it's almost like a season of spiritual dryness where my prayers aren't being answered the way I think they should be where I'm beginning to wonder, am I the only one that doesn't get this? Because I look around and people, you know, people are seeing answered prayer all the time. And so I wonder, is it just me? What am I messing up on? You know, I find it interesting that the disciples, the 12 disciples walked with Jesus. They followed Jesus, gave up everything to be with Jesus. And, and they got to see amazing, amazing things following Jesus. I mean, think about the miracles, the feeding the crowds, the driving out demons, the healing the sick, even raising the dead, walking on water, all of these things that they see Jesus do, but yet 
they didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to do any of those things. But the only disciple, the only question we see the disciples asking is Luke 11.1, 1, where we see the disciples are asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. In Luke 11.1, 1, I'd never caught it this week, uh, until this week, that, that Jesus was praying and had finished praying, then the disciples asked, that Jesus' life was clearly marked by prayer all the way through. But isn't it interesting, the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them anything, you know, how to do these miracles, how to build a big ministry, how to, but no, they asked Jesus one question, Lord, teach us how to pray. You see, there's, uh, prayer is powerful when it's in the center of a Christian's life. And one of the amazing things about prayer is the promises we find in God's Word. If you've been in God's Word, then there are promises that we don't want to miss. You know, these aren't empty promises. These are some of the best things. And I think what we're talking about is the number one reinforcer for prayer, for my prayer life. The number one thing that reinforces my prayer life is answered prayer. That when your prayer is being answered, it's just so clear that God is working and God is moving, and it's exciting. And one of these promises comes from 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Amazing promise that we know that if you notice in verse, uh, uh, he starts in 14 with confidence, this confidence that we have. Now, that, that word confidence doesn't doesn't mean just an approach, like a bold or an arrogance. No, it's not that. But confidence here is, is referring to unreserved, uninhibited speech, like uh, open and frank, pouring forth is the confidence that, that he's talking about. And this is a theme that's taught all throughout Scripture. If we'd go to Hebrews chapter 4, in Hebrews um, chapter 4, uh, four verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. All right, now, let us then with, help me out, what's that word? Confidence. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That this is taught throughout scriptures, that we can have confidence before God. But like I said, it's not just the, the, the being able to approach him. It's that, that pouring forth of the heart, that unreserved speech. If you have a close friend uh, you, uh, that you have confidence in, you will share things in confidence. But then when you learn that your friend went and told everyone else about what you had shared with them in confidence, then what do we say? You have broken confidence, right? And then, so that's what confidence here is, that pouring out of the heart to God, to, to, to see him work and to see him move. And when we get to verse 15, it says, and if we know 
that he hears us. It doesn't say, and we think that God hears our prayers or we feel like he hears our prayers. No, we have this confidence that we know he hears us. We know uh, and, and we're given these amazing promises that we're going to have, we're going to receive whatever we ask. We get excited and read this promise, but it would be, we do a horrible injustice to Scripture and our own lives if we think that just praying whatever we want and whatever we ask, God is going to give. There's a little qualifier, and it's in verse 14. It's two letters, small word, but it's a qualifier in verse 14. This is the confidence we have toward him, that if, if is the qualifier, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You've got to watch for the qualifiers because it, it negates the promise if you only do one part of it. Make sense? So, so, so when we look at this over and over throughout Scripture, we, we see this, uh, this if as a qualifier. John 15, verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see his qualifier? What did Jesus say? If you abide in me, right, and my word abides in you, then what? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. Yeah. All right, now catch me. Hear, hear me. You, we can't pray the second part without the first part. If we abide in him. That's what's going to open that door. If his word is abiding in us and living it out, then we'll see the reality of that promise. The psalmist in Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, we want to focus on that second part, right? When we're praying, say, yeah, give me the desires of my heart, Lord. That's what you promised. Well, what was the first part of the promise? Delight yourself in the Lord. That our hearts and our wills and our intentions need to be set upon him and not our own. Uh, not our own selfishness. That's not what God's saying he's going to answer. But what he's going to answer the prayer that is offered in faith before him in accordance with his will. So how do we know if we're praying for his will? Well, I think it's clear we've got we've to be in the word. We've got to know the word to know his will. But then the second is we have the Holy Spirit to to give us insight, to lead us in truth, to counsel us, and that we, we know we can pray his will, and that is the perfect prayer when we are praying his will and we are praying his word under God's leading, the Holy Spirit. Stan, e. Stanley Jones says, if I pull out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Think about that. When you're pulling, you're not pulling the shore to you. You are pulling you to the shore. Now, with that picture in mind, your prayers, are you trying to pull God to you? Or are you in surrender saying, God, pull me to you? That alignment is, is critical. That aligning with God is the intention of prayer. The uh, alignment with his will and his purposes, God's always going to answer that. You know, there's only... Four different answers I think God gives us in prayer. We love the first one. The first answer is yes. God gives us yes, right? And sometimes we get number two, though, and that's where God says no. That can be difficult. 
And sometimes we have the third answer, which is God says, wait. And the fourth one is when God says, you got to be kidding me. God gives answers, and we are promised. I mean, we are promised to receive what we ask when it's done according to his will. When we pray according to his will, everything changes. There's a shift in our thinking, in our mentality. Of it. It's not concerned about my good, his good. Not concerned about my reputation, it's his reputation. But some of us, I'm sure, today are saying, yeah, 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 but I sure don't feel it. That I don't feel like my prayer is getting any higher than the ceiling. That it just seems as if God is, is uninterested in me. As if God doesn't even hear my prayers. And, and this can be so discouraging. But I hope, if anything, you, you realize this. God loves to respond to his children out of love. God loves to answer his prayers. I mean, we're selfish people. Let's just admit, we can be selfish, Right? That, that we, if you have kids, though, you love to spoil your kids rotten, right? You love to spoil your kids. All right. and, and Jesus said, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Will give his Holy Spirit. Our, our Father loves to respond out of prayer. And, and so when we don't feel like God is answering our prayer, it's, it's key that we don't just give up and throw in the towel. But rather, what are some reasons that God may not answer prayer? I want to share six different from Scripture here, and, and, and the first reason why prayer might go unanswered is that we don't ask God. We just don't even pray about it. In James 4, the last part of verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. That, that perhaps that's why you're not seeing results, is you're not praying. You say, yeah, yeah, I know I need to pray about it, I'll pray about it, but you never get around to it. Instead, we talk to everyone else we see. We talk to uh, everyone on the fringe, and we try to get their sympathy and their, um, um, their support, but we're not fervently praying to the one that matters. You know, don't take it to the court down here. Take it to the judge upstairs. He knows all. He sees all, and he wants to respond. But then the second reason why prayer might go unanswered is this, that we're not asking in Jesus' name. We're not praying in Jesus' name. John 14, verse uh, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here, Jesus is the only access to the Father. Jesus is the gateway. There's no other way. He is the only way. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this is Jesus, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and the, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I think it's clear Jesus taught his disciples to pray in his name. Now, we pray in Jesus' name. We don't just put that to be a cute little tagline at the ending of a prayer. But rather, it's powerful theology. It's, it's the way we're instructed to pray because it's the source of, prayer, of, of prayer's power is him. When we look at this, and I, I really do wish we had more time, the the power of Jesus' name, it's not some magical voodoo or incantation. 
It's not just the tagline, but it, it, it is the, the, the power of connecting to Christ. It's the power of Jesus' name. You see this in Acts. Jesus has uh, risen from the dead, and he's ascended into heaven, and the church is getting ready to start. And if we had time, we could start in Acts 2, where we see Peter is preaching a sermon. He's preaching, man, and it's, it's Pentecost, and it is, it is amazing. Acts 2.21, he, he's, he's preaching, and he references Joel where Joel the prophet said, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the, what's that word? The name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter preaches the message and, and the, the people realize they've crucified Jesus. They've killed the author of life, but God has raised him from the dead. And they said, Paul, uh, Paul, Peter, Peter, what do we do? What do we do? In Acts 2.38, look at Peter's reply. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the what? In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. By the time we get to Acts chapter 3, verse 6, we see Peter and John are on their way to church where they see a crippled beggar who's 40 years. He's in a spot where he always is asking for money and Peter looks down at the man and look at what he says. I, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What did he say? It was in the name. When we see um, uh, later in the same chapter, verse 16, says, and his name by faith in what? His name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus, has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Then we go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 7. Um, the religious leaders are upset at Peter and John for teaching and preaching in Jesus' name. And so the religious leaders ask the question, by what name, by what power, by what authority are you doing these things? And as the investigation goes, Peter doesn't hold any punches. But in verse 10, he says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the, what? By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. By the time we get to Acts 4.12, he says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. By the time we, we, we see the end of their response, the religious leaders forbid them from preaching or teaching in Jesus' name. There was the problem. They were doing it in Jesus' name. That's where the power was coming from, from Jesus. It wasn't Peter and John. And so they get the church together after being told not to preach or teach in Jesus' name. And what does the church do? They pray. They begin to pray and look in verse 29 and 30. Look, look at what their prayer is. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Are you seeing that there's power in the name? Are you seeing that there's power in the name of Jesus? 
that when we pray in Jesus' name, we are connecting to his power. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 sums it up. Therefore, God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is power in the name. And when we are praying, that's not just a little tagline we're put in. And we know there is power in the name of Jesus. But praying in Jesus' name goes beyond that. We understand in our prayer that we have access to the Father because of Jesus. We understand that all power is through him. And we understand that praying in Jesus' name means praying according to his will, to his character. To the character of Jesus, to the kingdom of Jesus. It's not just a, a little phrase, but we are praying in alignment with him. Well, the third reason that someone may not have answered prayer in their life is that they're asking with the wrong motives. James 4, verse uh, 2, we read a, a little bit ago, but you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, to spend it on your own passions. When we ask our prayers with the wrong motives, we see that we'll ask and do not receive because we're being selfish. Think about that. In your prayer, where does God get the glory? See, it's all, it's all about him, right? Aren't we his and everything we are? We're just stewards. He's entrusted to us. So where is God going to get the glory? You see, that's the difference in the motive of prayer. And so three questions real quick as far as checking your motives. Number one, does your request line up with God's character? Does it line up with God's character? Or are you praying something totally different? Second question to ask is, does the request line up with God's word? Does your request line up with his character and with his word? I'm not going to pray about something that is against his word and his character. Makes sense? I'm not going to pray that God will bless your affair, your adulterous relationship. I am not going to pray that. You know, but I do struggle, you know, working with students. We had, had one talk to me one time and said, Chad, is it okay? I really I want to pray for a smoking hot wife. He's in high school, and I'm like, man, I love that heart to pray, pray about everything, and uh, man, you're getting specific, but, but I, I, I just tried to gently push back, well, maybe not just for a smoking hot wife, but, but pray that God would make you a man that she'd want to marry. Pray that God would give you the eyes to see beauty as he sees it, that, that someone would be on fire for the Lord just as you are. Pray, pray about that. And so the third question then to ask in regards to your motive is, does my request grow me to be more like Jesus? See, that's God's plan for our lives, is for us to be conformed to the image of his son, to be made more like Jesus. And so how in my prayer does the request show that I'm asking to become more like Jesus? We pray these fix this and fix that prayers. God, you know, fix so-and-so. My neighbor is driving me nuts. Can you fix them? Instead of God, make me more like Jesus Make me more patient, gracious, loving, understanding. But then the fourth reason why 
there might be unanswered prayer is because of um, unresolved conflict with another person. You see, God doesn't just care about our vertical relationship with him. He cares about the horizontal relationships too. I mean, that's what sums up the law and the prophets, that, that not just living and focusing on him, that our relationships with others makes a huge impact on our walk with Christ, whether or not we're centered. Because John will tell us that, that only, the, only as much as you love the person you hate, that's as much as you can love God. That if you don't love your brother whom you've seen, then you can't love God who you haven't seen. That unresolved conflicts and relationships, uh, Jesus taught about it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. I'd say the same thing applies to prayer. Before you pray, if you realize your brother has something against you, man, go and make things right, then come and pray. You say, but Chad, that's what I'm praying about. I'm, I'm praying for peace and calm in my heart because of this conflict with, with so-and-so, my sister, Lord. I, I'm praying about this, and I'm, I don't have any of that peace. Well, maybe it's time to put the prayer into action and go reconcile, do what he says, and then come and offer your prayer. That sometimes we have to go and do. But then another area or reason that prayer might be unanswered is unconfessed sin. Sin cuts off the communication with God. And see, there's only one of two things that'll happen. Either prayer will drive sin out of your life or sin will drive prayer out of your life. Those are the only options. And when we have sin, we are rebelling against God. That cuts off the communication. And I don't want to be too harsh, please, I'm saying this in love, but if you are living in rebellion, you know, unrepented sin, where you know you are living opposite of what is God, of God's will is for you, then don't waste your breath praying another prayer unless it's in repentance and confession. And I know that sounds so harsh, but I think we have to see this in Isaiah, um, Isaiah 59, verse 2. It shows that your iniquities or sin has made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. The Bible's clear that when we cherish sin in our hearts, man, that's not the prayer that God's going to answer. And so if we have unconfessed sin, it is time that we take it before him and give it all to him. But then the, the last area of why I believe there's unanswered prayer, and there's more, there's more, but these were just some from Scripture, it is, is doubting God. That when we're praying, not in faith, but we're doubting. And this can be tricky because all of us, you know, yeah, we believe he can, we know that he can, but the question is, will he? And so we might pray a prayer where we don't really expect it to get answered at all. And James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see, when we're not praying out faith, but we're doubting the whole time, what can we expect? We shouldn't suppose we should receive anything from the Lord. And so if we're not praying out of faith, 
but we're doubting, then we're going to get what God says there, right? Nothing. You're not going to receive anything from the Lord. That the, the doubting of God, this is, is so, so challenging because we wrestle, if we had time, we'd go in Scripture and see even the church messed up with this. That I heard about a man who was driving out in the middle of nowhere. He's out in the middle of nowhere with his friend, and, and all of a sudden the car starts to sputter, and sure enough, he looks down, and the gas gauge is all the way at empty. And the car stalls. He looks over to his friend. They have no clue what they're going to do. They're out in the middle of nowhere. And so the friend says, well, pray about it. And so the man starts to pray about it, and sure enough, he, he looks down, and he sees the gas tank is all the way full. And he says, oh, man, I can't believe it. And then the gas tank went all the way empty. <laughs> that, that, that we pray these prayers that we don't really expect God to answer. That's not faith. That is doubting him. You know, I used to pray that God would just zap me and make me want to do right the whole time. And I was struggling with some bondage in my life. And I, I, you know, Lord, I've seen you do it for others. I've prayed with others. And I've seen this transformation that you bring. God, why don't you just zap me and make me want to do right all the time? I had faith. But did I? Because I knew God could. But, but you see, faith without works is dead. So, so faithful prayer without works is dead as well. So, so I didn't need to pray for God to zap me and him do all the work. Well, I needed to put my faithful prayer into action and do some of the work, do what he was asking me to do. And I found, you know, this is the key. When, when we see God's will, is, his, his ways, his thoughts are so much better than mine. And I've learned, I, I thought I knew what was best for Chad. I didn't have a clue that I don't want what I think I want. I really want what God wants. And that, in that not zapping, but making me walk with him daily after daily, battle after battle, what did I find? I found that deliverance I wanted, but I found something so much better. I know my deliverance is only good for today. That I have to keep walking with him and keep praying and keep trusting him every single day. That he doesn't just zap us and give us everything we need for the rest of our life, but that we walk by faith, not by sight. And I think everyone in this room could attest to the goodness of God as seen over time and that what we thought was so great turns out to not be great at all. His way is always better, but it's like we're forgetting that he's even a player in this game of life. It's like we forget he's got skin in the game with Jesus, that we're doing our own thing and we're looking all around at our friends and we're seeing what they're doing and we see circumstances aren't the way that we'd want them and so, so we get discouraged. It's like we forget God is in this. God's in the background working where we can't see. And you see this over and over in Scripture, where the circumstances aren't right, but God fixes it. And, and that, that the, the word but God, when it's put together in Scripture, watch out, because there is a transition, there is something happening, there is something changing. God is working, not in the shadows or the background, but it comes to the forefront when you see that in Scripture. I'll give you an example, Matthew 19, verse 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The circumstances change when God's involved in the picture. I mean, just go all the way back to Genesis chapter 8, uh, verse 1. We read, but God remembered Noah. 
You see, you had this chaos, this, the, this destruction of, of, of evil. The world was so evil. Every inclination of the heart was set on evil. That's, that's bad. But God remembered Noah. Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, and they will, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, we get some bad advice sometimes. We say, just follow your heart. Man, that is bad advice. The Bible's clear. Our heart is deceitful. You know, we lie to ourselves more than we lie to anyone else. And we deceive ourselves bad sometimes. I mean bad. And so my heart and flesh may fail, but God changes me. Check out um, Acts 13, verse 29 and 30. It says, and when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. But God. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I am so thankful that there are but gods in the Bible. I am so thankful that there are but gods in my life. I'm sure if we had time in this room, we could go around and hear testimony after testimony, story after story of life where, where things were going horrible, marriage was on the rocks, but God. My kid was lost, but God. My boss and I, were, were, but God. My parents, my, my coach, but God. God is working and God is answering prayers every single day. So the question is, are you going to give up praying or are you going to cling to the promises of, of in prayer? So three questions for you to check yourself. Number one, check, check within. Are there any hindrances are there any of these areas that you're not living in surrender to him? Question two is, do you really know, do you really believe that God loves to respond to our prayers, that God loves to answer, especially he answers when it's in accordance to his will? Do you know that? Are you convinced? And then the third question is, will you trust him? Are you going to have that confidence? It's not in us. It's Jesus' name. It's only because of him that we have confidence. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we are blown away by you. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to see how you're working, and that you would work in us and through us. Lord, we thank you for the confidence that we have. And it's only in the strong name of Jesus that we pray.